Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Church, listen, I'd like to start off our Bible study with a question. You go, Pastor, you did it all the time. Well, listen, I want you to let, let the weight of this question just, just feel heavy on your heart. Okay, this is a question that I think we really need to ask. I think it's a question that's been asked throughout the ages. And you go, well, get to it then, Pastor. Okay, here's the question. You ready? Who is Jesus Christ? Well, just, just let that wait on you for a second. Who is Jesus Christ, right? Because here's the questions that you're already thinking, okay? Is Jesus Christ really the promised Messiah of Israel in the Old Testament? Is that really who he is? Or you might be thinking, is Jesus Christ truly the Son of God? Literally, God himself, the divine living in human flesh. Is that who Jesus is? And of course, our minds start to wander when we're asked that question, who is Jesus Christ? And a lot of times we go, well, were, were, were Jesus Christ's claim that, did he claim, you know, was he a liar or was he a lunatic? Or was he really the Lord of the universe? Who is Jesus Christ? You see, I don't know about you, but if you've ever, you know, read the periodicals or if you've ever read the magazines like Time or Newsweek, they have been asking the same question for many, many years. As a matter of fact, they actually, they actually put this title, this question on their cover, April 15th, 1988, where Time magazine asked, who was Jesus? And of course, if you were to read Time Magazine 1988, you would um, note some of the questions in the article. Some of the questions in the article of Time Magazine was, how is Jesus understood? That's a question that a lot of people ask. Or they, they said, did he just stride out of the wilderness 2,000 years ago to preach a more gentle message of peace and brotherhood? Or, or did he perhaps advocate some form of revolution? You see, according to Time Magazine, throughout the years, they've asked and published several stories concerning the reality of Jesus. Such titles include January 19, January 30th, 1928, which simply said, Jesus Christ. June 21st, 1963, the title, The Search for the Historical Jesus, April or August 15th, 1977. Their title was Jesus Merely Man, July 22nd, 1985. What sort of Jew was Jesus? And of course, January 10th, 1994, Jesus Christ, plain and simple. Now let's chat for just a moment. I've asked you that question, who is Jesus Christ? And I'm wondering if the weight of that question is filling your heart. Who is Jesus? See, people throughout the ages, guys, have been asking that same question. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? See, I, I, I bring this up because I want you to think about it. I think about magazines like Time or, or, or Newsweek or think about even just the documentary that PBS published, right? Because what happens is they never tell you who Jesus really is. They ask the question, but they never give you the answer. 
Who is Jesus? Well, and they'll go through and they'll say stuff like, well, he was a prophet or he was a good teacher. Or, he was a man who lived in Israel back in the day and, and so forth. But they never really get to the nucleus, the core of who Jesus really is. The reason I ask you is because I, I want you to think about what we're asked to believe. When you think about it, right? We're asked to believe that 2,000 years ago, that this little virgin girl became pregnant by the Holy Spirit, has a little baby. They called him Yeshua, Jesus in Hebrew. Or Yeshua is, is, is actually Jesus in Hebrew. And there he is, and he grows up, and he's fully God and fully man. And that he, at around the age of 30, he decided that he's going to start his mission, and he gathers these guys, and they're not the best. They're not the Harvard graduates. They're the fishermen. And he says, hey, listen, we're going to change the world. And, and this Jesus Christ pours into these men for three years. And then we have to believe, and our choice to believe is that, that Jesus died on a cross, a horrible death, and that he was buried, but three days later he resurrected. And even today when you go to the tomb, he's not there. And we're asked to believe that, and we're asked to believe that one day he will come again. And so the question to us is, who is Jesus? We have to know what we believe. Because to the unbelieving people, that's crazy to believe something like this. Well, Pastor, I've got a question for you. Doesn't the Bible say that, the, that, what? that we walk by faith and not by sight? And I say, absolutely right. We walk by faith but not, and not by sight. But here's what happens, guys. What happens when you take your final breath on earth? Your faith then becomes sight. You're asked to walk by faith down here, believing, trusting, who is Jesus? He's my Savior. But when you take your final breath, your faith then becomes sight. It's, it's an incredible dynamic. So who is Jesus? Well... Allow me to remind you where we were last week and a couple of weeks ago. It's the courtroom once again. John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, he starts off the book with what I call a mic drop statement. Anybody know what a mic drop is? It's when you give this de amazing declarative statement and it just blows people away that you just, boom, you just drop the mic and time to move on, right? That's what it does. He goes, that's, you go, that's what John does? That's exactly what he does. Imagine with me, here's the courtroom, and if you've ever been in a courtroom, you walk in, the bailiff tells you to be quiet, shh, court's in session, John gets up, right, the, 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 the prosecuting team and all the other people are looking at him with sneers on their face, they're ready, what are you going to tell us, John, what are you going to say about this Jesus, because they're asking the same question, John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, he gets up. And his opening statement was this. He says, hello, listen, Jesus was before time ever existed. And you hear the, oh, he says, he was awesome. He was awesome. He was an awesome fellowship with God the Father. And as a matter of fact, and there's a hush over the crowd. He was God. And he drops the mic and walks away. How do you recover from that? Well, the statement that John makes does not sit well with the people in the courtroom, nor does it sit well with people in our day, right? 
You go, how so? Church, let's be honest. When we pray, if we're asked to pray, we can pray to God because God to you can be anything you want it to be. But when you pray in the name of Jesus, you're zeroing in. You'll hear people say, listen, you can pray. Just don't use the name of Jesus. Don't pray. And we go, no, no, no. You don't understand. We're praying in Jesus' name. You, you see? They'll tell you, you pray. Listen, go out and pray. You know, in public prayer, you can pray. God, because to them, God could be anything. It could be a light. It could be a cloud. It could be a doorknob. But Jesus, wait a minute. Don't pray to Jesus. Why? Because he's God. No, he's not. And that's exactly what's going on in the courtroom. You can feel the drama, right? You can feel. There, it's not sitting well with them. So what John does is, as a courtesy, right? John's a great theologian and he's a great thinker. Notice what he does. He says, okay, I just dropped a bomb on you. I just said, Jesus is God. He was there before time existed. And everybody goes, What? He was in fellowship with the Father. What? And he was God. And then he says, okay, now, as a courtesy, because I know you're all upset, he says, I'm going to call my first witness. You know who he calls? He calls creation to testify. Could you imagine, ladies and gentlemen of the courtroom, I call creation. What? Yeah, that's what we read last week. Remember in verse 3 it says, All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness didn't comprehend it. Wow. He just called create. I mean, what a bold move, John. You called creation. Now, here's the problem. The problem is, is John steps up very boldly and says, I call creation to testify of who Jesus is. There's a lot of skeptics in the room. They fold their arms, right? They cross their arms and they look and they're, you're calling creation? I don't believe he was involved in creation. I, I, you know, and, and, and basically it's just, there's, we, we call them skeptics. But I have some good news for you. You go, what's that? Did you know that Jesus loves the skeptic? You go, what do you mean? As a matter of fact, think, think about this. One of Jesus' disciples was a skeptic at first. We call him Thomas. Do you guys remember Thomas? You know him as Doubting Thomas, which is a real bummer because he's gone throughout eternity with the name Doubting Thomas. And he's like, listen, I just... I just, I was just a skeptic. I mean, he's probably going, we don't call Peter denying Peter. Why are we calling me Doubting Thomas, right? What's your name? Thomas. Oh, Doubting Thomas. Oh, you make one mistake. But he was a skeptic, and I love on it. I love Thomas. Why? Because he was honest. And yet he was a skeptical man, and Jesus loved him enough to set him free. I think about my life, church. I, too, was a skeptic at one point. I, too, used to cross my arms and think, really? You see, I thought to myself, this Christian thing, this born-again Christian, it's not going to work for me. You don't understand. I, I belong to a very long lineage of religious denomination, tradition. It's not going to work for me. And I would think Christ could never change a person like me. 
But he did. He did. Because this Jesus, guys, he's an expert at changing skeptics into believers. In fact, it's been said that skepticism is the first step to belief. Now, listen, before we go on, okay? Before we go on, remember last week we said, what is the person that, what, is, what, is, what does mankind need most? A, a dead man needs to come to life. And in the life that Christ gives, he's going to give free, he's going to give forgiveness, and he's going to give grace, and he's going to give mercy, and he's going to give compassion. But if we're not alive, we can't experience those things. Oh, on a superficial level, yeah, do you forgive me? Yeah, not really. Why? You ever hear that, you ever hear that phrase? I'll forgive, but I won't. Forget? Yeah, that's a superficial type. That's a, listen, you hurt me. Watch this. Got my eyes on you, buddy. But when you experience the life that Jesus brings, your forgiveness extends to the place where you're not going to remember that anymore. When you say forgiveness, you go, I'm done. Yes, that may have hurt, but I understand. I understand. And that's what Jesus does, guys. He turns those skeptics, those people who look in disbelief, and he captures their heart, and he turns them into believers. Guys, we talk about this. This is, this is what we talk about, an encounter with God. We're not just talking about showing up to church, right? We show up to church and go, okay, I'll go to church with you, but you're going to have to take me to lunch because, you know, it's got to be worth something. And then you come, you sit down, you go, okay, that music was all right. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, lights are pretty cool. I don't know how long, long the pastor's going to be. Did he say 45 minutes? I don't think he's 40. If he goes past 45 minutes, I'm getting up and I'm walking. That's not an encounter with Christ. That's going to church. But when you have an encounter, you feel something in your heart. It's like, wow. Wow. You see, much like in... Like in John's day, like in, they had someone, they, they had this group of people called agnostics, like in our day. And these were religious people who really didn't understand and they wanted more evidence. For John to simply drop a statement like he did, claiming Jesus was God in the flesh, and then in a bold move call creation to testify, it wasn't enough for them. They say, give me more. And so can you imagine John? Now, if Jesus was God and he was the creator of all things, then we ask the question, much like the agnostics did in the day, well, who is this Jesus Christ? Who is he? So John then turns to his next witness. He says, okay, all right, listen, I just, I've just opened my art. I've just opened this amazing statement with Jesus as God. I've called creation. You don't believe me in creation, but let me call somebody who has flesh. Let me call my next witness. So who does John call, right? Who does John call? He calls none other than Jesus' cousin, John the Baptizer. Some of you know him as John the Baptist. The problem with that is that we get that confused with him being a Baptist. It wasn't, he wasn't part of the denomination of being a Baptist. All he was was he was a baptizer. That was his job. And so he says, hey, let me call my next witness. And everybody goes, who are you going to call? And I know you're thinking Ghostbusters. I just, when I said it, it was already going out there. 
That was so classic, wasn't it? That was so good. Who are you going to call? No, you're not calling Ghostbusters. You're calling John the Baptist, right? <sighs> well, much like y'all, the courtroom goes crazy. You're calling who? John the Baptizer. John the Baptizer. I mean, seriously, right? Here's what's happening in the courtroom. It erupts with chaos. John the Baptist, no way. Here's why. Because they go, John the Baptizer, that dude ate bugs. Are you kidding me? He loved grub. I mean, there wasn't a day when a caterpillar wasn't coming out of his beard. Are you kidding me? This is John the Baptist. No way. You're not calling this. No, wait, wait, wait. John the Baptist? The guy who wears the, the camel hair onesie? Anybody? I just said that because, you know, social media was saying men wear onesies now. But nonetheless, nonetheless, that's what it was. They're just, are you kidding me? He had no fashion sense. And yet John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, calls John the Baptist to the stand. Now, let me give you two quick reasons why John would call his cousin of Jesus as a witness. Number one. According to the internet, a witness is someone who has a first-hand knowledge about a dramatic event through their senses, through their seeing or hearing or smelling or touching, and they can help certify an important considerations to the event, right? So when you say he's a witness, it's somebody who has first-hand event. That's what happens. You know what I'm talking about? That's what happens. They call them eyewitnesses. If you were driving and you happen to see a crash, the first thing the policemen are going to ask you, is there any eyewitnesses? Why? Because you can see firsthand. That dude didn't stop. He went right through the line and he just crunched. I saw it all, officer. You're a witness. You can give, you can give a detailed account. And isn't that what we do? Yeah, the person driving was looking like this. I know, I saw them. They were there on their phone texting before they crashed in there. I saw it, officer. Book him. Take him to jail. That's what a witness is. And so what John does, he goes, hey, let me call. I need to call a witness. And then John says, I'm going to call John the baptizer because the second reason, he's family. They're cousins. Right? Now, Listen, I know some of you go, well, I'm not that close to my cousins. My cousins live out of state. Back in this day, guys, they were close. They hung out. They ate at each other's house. Okay? They were close. And so he says, I'm going to call. No better call than his cousin. His cousin. I know he's weird. You know, everybody have a weird cousin? That was Jesus' weird cousin, right? Oh, no, not John. He always kind of smells like a camel. You know, it's just, oh. Think about it. Think about it for a second, church. If you want to know me, most of you kind of know me. You go, yeah, I know. I know Pastor Ben, you know. Uh, I follow him on Facebook. Or I see what he's doing here, so forth, right? If you want to know me, you, you'll follow me on Facebook or Instagram, or you'll talk to me in the, in the foyer or whatever. But if you really want to know me, I mean really want to know what I'm about, you would ask my wife, wouldn't you? What's Ben really? Tell me. Because I know he walks around here and he sort of floats like, you know, it's just like, wow. And it's just, he's just got this angelic beat, this, this angelic face on him, right? And, and at church, he's just like, wow. And he's always like, God bless you. And, he ha- and he's also pious like this, right? If <laughs> you want to know me, ask my wife. What's Ben really like? And she's sworn to, she's sworn to secrecy. She just can't tell anything. But if, you, but if you want us to know, right, we, that's family, right? That's who you would ask. Now, now listen. Now, if you want to know, 
you know, I mean, if you want to know what you're like, ask your kids. You realize in children's ministry, we know more about you than you would love to let on. Your kids spill the beans all the time, trust me. All the time. My daddy said a bad word. (laughs) What? My mama, right? My mama burned the beans the other day. And, you know, I mean, they'll just, they'll tell you everything. They will tell, trust me, now if you're going to go get your kids, it's like, "Mm, you don't say anything to that teacher. They'll tell you the truth. They'll tell you who you really are, right? My mommy got mad at daddy because he left his socks on the floor. Oh, really? I mean, we, we hear it all. If you want to know somebody, if you want to know someone, ask family, right? Well, that's what, that's what John the Baptist is. That's what John, the, uh, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He says, Your Honor, I call to the stand John the Baptist. We just call him John, but you know him as John the Baptizer, John the Baptist. That's where we pick it up, guys, in verse 6. It says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, we begin to get the testimony. So John comes up, right? He comes up, and he sits on the stand, and he says, okay, I'm called John the Baptist. This is Jesus' cousin, but let me tell you something. He says, this man was an eyewitness to all the events that take place. So, we have to ask, well, who was this John the Baptist? Who was this John the Baptizer? Where did he come from? Well, for the sake of our study, guys, I can't go all the way in depth. We would, we'd be here till one o'clock, but you can find his story in Luke chapter one, verses five through 25, and then you can jump over to verse 57 and see the rest of his story. I'm going to summarize for the sake of our study. There was a couple in Luke's gospel named Zacharias and Elizabeth. And this was an amazing, godly, wonderful, older couple who didn't have any kids. Now, to you and I in our day and age, we're like, okay, no big deal. They were just a wonderful couple. Hi, God bless you. And they didn't have any kids. But in their day, not to have children was a social outcast. It was like, it, you almost felt like God was punishing you. And so, and so you got, you got Zacharias and you got Elizabeth, right? Zacharias was a priest. And the one thing he wanted was he wanted to have a family. And so when it was his turn to go into the temple as they drew lots, he figured, like most of us, hey, I'm here, God's here, I think I'll just shoot up a prayer. And so he says, God, could we just have a child? Could we just have a son to take on the family name? Now, it's a great prayer. He didn't think anything was going to happen. An angel of the Lord appears to him, right? And he's like, hey, Zach, what's up? And he just blows his mind Why he says, you're going to have a son. You're going to have a son. Now, what's the first thing that Zach thinks? I can't believe this is coming true. Are you serious? Because why? Well, the Bible says that Elizabeth was barren and that they were advanced in age. You know when the Bible says advanced in age, that's just be nice to calling you what? Old. So when you see me, you go, Pastor, you're just advanced in age. That's a nice way to say you're getting old. And so they didn't have any children, but the angel said, you're going to have a child. And as a matter of fact, you're not going to name him after you. He ain't going to be Zacharias number two. Freestyling here, wasn't that awesome? He says, it's going to be John. And you know what, you know what Zacharias does? He doubts it. 
He doubts it. He's like, now how can this be? I doubt it. And so what happens is the angel's like, listen, I stand before God. Are you kidding me? You're doubting me? I just, I was, at the, I was in the throne just a second ago. This is what's going to happen. As a consequence, a consequence to his doubt, guess what happens? He can't speak anymore. His wife was real happy. Or she was real sad, depending on the wife, right? You never talk to me anymore. He's like, you know? But... Uh, He's trying to tell, he writes down, you're going to get pregnant. And she's like, say it to my face. No, anyways, so, <laughs> so she has a baby, and his name is John. And John grows up, and he has this amazing ministry. The moment that he writes, his name is John, he can speak again. And it's just amazing. And that's where John the Baptist comes from. But I know, guys, listen, I, I know that there's a nugget of truth. And you go, Why? Because I want you to keep in mind the mission that, that John is supposed to have. This is his mission. It's found in verse 6. and, and uh, No, I'm sorry. Let me go back. I, I want you to keep this in mind. Okay, Keep this in mind. The Bible says okay, in verse 6 that Zacharias and Elizabeth were righteous before God, walking in the commandments and ordinances in the, of the Lord blameless. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. Do you guys see that? And you go, what's the nugget of truth there? In, in verse 6, the Bible says that this was a godly, God-fearing couple who loved God more than anything. And in verse 7, it says, but they didn't have any child. They didn't have any children. And Elizabeth just, just couldn't have children. It's not that they hadn't tried. And you go, well, pastor, what's the truth? Well, here's my prayer, guys. I, I think for at this point, before the angel speaks to Zacharias at this point, they're probably asking God, why? And if we were to, if we were to listen into their prayers, into their private prayers, they would be probably crying out to God, going, God, aren't we serving you? Aren't we loving you? Aren't we, aren't we doing what you've asked us to do? Lord, you just called us righteous and blameless. And, and all we're asking for a child, I mean, we're not like, we're not like asking for the whole world. We're just asking for a child. And I don't understand why, right? And isn't it those the same questions that we ask guys from time to time when we're, when we're struggling? We ask the Lord, why? Why isn't this happening? Why isn't that happening? I don't understand. I'm trying to do my best to minister unto you, Lord, and, and I'm righteous in Jesus, but I don't understand why this won't happen. And guys, that can, that's, a, a, that's across the board. My prayer, guys, for each one of us is that we would be, that we would be called righteous in God and that we would walk blameless. And even when we don't get what we think we should get, that we would continue to be like them, that we would walk in integrity and walk in wholeness and walk in brokenness. Here's why. Serving God and being righteous does not always mean you'll get what you want. The Bible said they didn't have any children, yet they remained faithful. Why? They weren't serving God for what they could get, guys. They weren't serving him going, well, God, I'll do this. And they weren't bargaining with God. They were faithful because they loved God. And whatever life gave them, they remained faithful. 
What a, what a good nugget of truth. So many people are going, God, I'll bargain with you. If I do this, this, and this, you'll, you give me this, this, and this. If I do that, you'll do this. How about if I, if I go into the ministry, God, then? And God's like, no, you, you need to love me for me. Only me. Back in our story, the Bible says that there was a man. What was he? He was sent from God, right? He was a man, John the Baptist. And the word sent there, guys, in verse 6 is the word apostello, and it means to be set apart, to send out on mission, which is very important. And you go, why? Well, it's, it's where we get the word apostle, but more importantly, it's where we get our word missionary, the word missionary, if you're going to be a missionary, you're going to be one that's sent out. That's all it means. And it says there was a man, his name was who? John the Baptist. John. I don't think the Baptist was his last name, you know. I mean, it was just John. And he was sent out, but he was sent out from who? He was sent out from God. So much different than you going, I need to go. Here's the difference, guys. There are so many people who want to run ahead of God. And they go, God, I'm over here. Bless me. Bless me. And God's like, I didn't send you over there. It's so important. We wait. We wait. And then God will do the sending. God will do the sending. Now, notice with me. God gave John the Baptist for the sake of our study. He gave him a mission and he gave him a message. You go, well, what was John's mission? Here it is. It tells us in Luke 1.16. It says, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will also go before him in spirit in the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. What was John's mission? He was to get people ready for Jesus. That's what he was called to do. That was, a, God, I'm sending John the Baptist. What's his message? Get him ready. Jesus is coming. That's all he did. That's all he did. And, and, and guys, think about that. That's, it's the same for those who are a follower of Jesus. He not only gives you a mission, he gives you a message. If you're here today and you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are on mission. I am not. Yes, you are. Why? Because the Bible says, I don't know if you know this or not, but as a follower of Jesus Christ, you are in the ministry. I don't know if you know this. You're in full-time ministry. No, I am not. That's your job, pastor. You're the minister. No, no, no. I am the equipper. I am the teacher. All y'all, right, Texas, all y'all are in the ministry for the equipping of the saints to do the work. Of, I don't know. Did you know? Is that a news flash? I'm in the ministry? Yeah, you're in the ministry. I'm in full-time? It is absolutely. Well, what's, what's my mission? Well, your mission is found in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, verse 19, where Jesus tells us, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So what are we supposed to do? Church, that's our mission. Our mission is to go, not stay. Where am I supposed to go? Go. What am I supposed to do? Make disciples. That's, 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 your, that's your mission. We're supposed to go. And make disciples. Well, I don't have a message. Yes, you do. It's actually verse 20. What's the message? 
Jesus says, teach them to observe all things I've commanded you. And then he says, and, and don't be afraid. I'm, I'm going to be with you always, even to the ends of the age. Amen. So what's the message, guys? The message is to teach people to observe everything that's written in the word of God. So I'm supposed to make disciples, I'm supposed to go, and I'm supposed to make disciples, and I'm supposed to teach them what God has taught me. Sounds pretty simple. We're commanded to go. We're commanded to go. What does that mean, commanded to go? A lot of people think go means foreign missions, right? I'm going to get on an airplane, I'm going to go across the body of water, and I'm going to reach people that never heard about Jesus. But let me tell you this. That might mean your own backyard. Do you realize, and I don't know you do, a lot of us don't. Do you realize that where you live right now is exactly where God has you to reach your neighbors? Thank you, Pastor. You gave me permission to get on my bullhorn and stand at the corner of my street and yell at those filthy sinners. That's not what I'm talking about, okay? What I'm talking about is to lovingly invite them into your home, cook a meal, and share the love of Jesus. That doesn't happen. Oh, you don't, don't go with that agenda. When they come to my house, I'm going to meet them with the Bible going, hey, you know I'm a pastor, right? Boom, get inside. Let's eat. It's done how? It's just done over time. And when they see your life, they start going, you're different. And, and I noticed on Sunday mornings, you get up and get everybody in the car. Where do you go? I mean, is, do you go to church? Well, I, we go to a building. We go, you know. Well, where do you go? Well, we go to Calvary Chapel. Why do you go to Calvary Chapel? Well, they put a sign in so we don't get lost, and that's the only reason. But really, we're the church. And let me tell you about Jesus. Right? So it's in your own backyard. Well, I'll tell you another place, guys. It's in, uh, it's in the grocery stores. Did you know that you're commanded to go on mission in the grocery store? What do you see in the grocery store? A lot of people in a hurry, right? A lot of people just... Your, your clerks are usually ones that are, that are struggling. You know, if you go to a certain grocery store here, they actually take your groceries out and they ask you how your day is? Are you kidding me? Wow, what a great conversation to your car. You know, the problem is, is, that, is that the little sacker guy keeps driving, going around the parking lot as I tell him about Jesus. Where did you park? Just keep going. You know, just keep going. I'm over, let's say, and I'm lost. But how do you know? Do you know Jesus? How are you doing? And you're over here, right? And he's just like, where's your car? Oh, it's parked in front. Because we're on mission. And if somebody asks you how I'm doing, what about your job? Oh, Pastor, I hate my job. No, you know what? You know what I tell everybody? Your job is a mission field. God has this amazing, God has this amazing I mean, he's just so intelligent. He says, listen, I know that a lot of people aren't, aren't going to come here. I get that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to equip you so you could go out there. And so when you're at your job, you're on mission. Or at the gym, right? You're at the gym. There's a lot of place that we're called to go. Or perhaps you're called to go overseas. Perhaps you're one that goes, listen, Pastor, I want to go to Mexico. I want to. I want to go out on foreign missions. And here's, here's what I tell you. Listen, wherever it is, God will let you know. Don't be in a rush. What's our job? You want to know what your job is? Keep the message clear 
and he'll take care of the rest. Keep the message clear, and he'll keep it. What do you mean clear? Well, let me, give you some, let me give you some information. Speaking of John the Baptist, did you realize that he performed no miracles in his life? He didn't part any water. He didn't make fire come down. He performed no miracles. But the purity and the strictness of his life, coupled with the commitment of teaching, were plain indications that he was sent from God. Listen, you want to reach your world? Be a John the Baptist. You go, what do you mean? Purity and strictness of who we are with the teaching of the word of God. People see that. And they start to look and go, man. Look at verse 7 with me, church. John chapter 1, verse 7. This man, John the Baptist, came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. Remember what a witness was, guys. A witness was someone who had firsthand knowledge about a dramatic event. And he came to bear witness of the light for one purpose. What was that purpose? So that all through Christ might believe. Now, here's what we would ask. We would just say, you know what, Ben? Christ's light doesn't need man's testimony. Why is he doing this? Well, Christ's, I mean, Christ's light doesn't need man's testimony, but a very dark world does. A very dark world needs light shed on it, needs us to be a good witness. So here's what I want to do with the rest of our time. I want to give you traits of a good witness. I want to give you some traits of you being a good witness, Okay. And it's found in the scriptures we just read. Now let's read it again. Verse 6. There was a man sent from God. We know what that means. His name was John. And this man came for a witness to bear witness of the light so that all through him might believe. Point number one, guys, if you want to be a good, if you want a trait of a good witness, you need to understand this. Listen, a good witness for Jesus always points to Jesus. A good witness is called to build God's kingdom, not his own. What do you mean, Pastor? Church, I am admonishing you. We need to be so careful that we don't point people to denominations. Denominations can't save anyone. We need to be so careful that we don't point people to certain churches. Well, you only need to go to this church or you only need to go to that church. Why? We're not here to build our kingdom. We're here to build his kingdom. Be careful, church, that you don't point people to a TV pastor or leader. Oh, you've got to see this pastor on TV. To be a good witness, church, for Jesus, always point to Jesus. Remember what Jesus told us, right? In John chapter 12, verse 32, he says, And when I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. What are we supposed to do? Guys, our job is to, our job is to what? Just to point to Jesus. And that's what John the Baptist did. That's what John, but, but let me share a little point with you guys, and I hope you grasp it, okay? I hope you get it. Zacharias and Elizabeth were, were blameless, were godly couple, and yet they were like, man, we, we're struggling. Why? Because we don't have any kids, and we really want a kid, and we're struggling. Here comes John the Baptist. Now, you understand who John the Baptist is, right? John the Baptist was, he was a godly man. He was in God's perfect will. 
He was a great witness and he only pointed to Jesus so much so he goes, behold the Lamb of God. I'm not even worthy to unloose his shoelaces. That's Jesus and he point. John, right? And you go, yes. If anyone, John the Baptist was just an awesome, awesome, amazing. This dude was amazing. And, and, and here's what I want to point out to you. John was a prophet of God. He was walking in God's perfect will. And yet, where did he end up? He ended up in prison and beheaded. And you go, what, 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 whoa, 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 stop, stop, stop. I thought this was like a motivational, come on. Why is this important? Listen, church, and I'll tell you the truth. I will always tell you the truth. Being a follower of Jesus, witnessing, being in his perfect will, does not mean an easy life for you. Contrary to what, you know, popular people are saying, following Jesus does not mean an easy life. And it's a tough pill to swallow. I mean, John ended up, he ended up being beheaded. He's sitting in prison going, go go see if Jesus is the one. Go see who he is, right? Is he not essentially asking, who is this Jesus? And his disciples come back. He says, no, he's the one. And John's like, okay, well, tell him to get me out of here. And he doesn't. He ends up being killed. And it's a, and it's a nugget of truth for us to go, listen. Hey, could you imagine my evangelistic spiel? You ready? Here's my evangelist. Listen, I want all of you to give your life to Jesus Christ. And you know what it means for you? It could mean death. It could mean a hard life. It could mean things don't get better. It could be between now and Jesus comes back. It could get really rough. Okay, who's in? You see, we, we, we point out the fact that Jesus wants to come in and save us, and, and he does. He does all of that. He forgives us, and he turns, and there's a new leaf, and we have a new lease on life, and God is our Savior. But you realize that there are times where it's not going to end up good for us. And that's the gospel. Why? Because we don't follow Jesus to make life better. We follow Jesus because he's better than life. That's what John the Baptist realized. He said, listen, it's not about, listen, he wasn't thinking, listen, if I follow Jesus, I'm going to have, you know, I'm going to have a, you know, I, I need to have at least a three chariot mansion. You know, I need to have this, I need to have that, I he just goes, is he the one? His only mission was to point people to Christ. Number two, real quick. Number two, another trait of a good witness, guys, is that our only intention of being a good witness is that people will believe in Jesus. People will believe in Jesus. You go, what do you mean, Pastor? We must be careful, guys, that when we present Christ, that we don't want them to trust in our agenda or our intentions or our building or even our programs. But the only intention is that you believe in Jesus. Why? Here's the point. Calvary Chapel cannot save anyone. Ben Martinez cannot save anyone. It's only Jesus. And the purpose for you being here is that you believe in Jesus. You believe in Jesus. Now, it's important, church, that you invite, it, it's in people, it's, in, it's important that you invite people to our church. But the goal is to see people believe in Jesus. Now, 
John the Baptist was a great witness, right? He pointed people to Jesus, right? He, 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 that's all he did. He pointed people to Jesus, and, and through him they might believe. Now, I'm going to step on your toes, okay? I'm going to step on your toes, so I pray you come back. But I want you to write this down. Witnessing is not something we do. It's something we are. Witnessing is not something we do. It's something we are in our everyday life. Well, you go, how? How are you stepping on my toes? Well, we, church, share God's love and hope through Jesus by how we pay our bills. You realize that, right? Oh, I know it's tough. And, and I'm not saying that, that you've gotten, you know, I'm not saying that there are times when you've gotten into a, uh, you know, you're just trying to catch up and you're really struggling, but you're paying what you, need, you can pay. But what I am saying, guys, is there's somebody on the other end going, and you're a Christian, and yet you're late all the time? That's not a good testimony to who Jesus is. See, we, we can be a great witness by how we pay our bills. Number two, we can be a good witness and we can share God's love by how we live and how we speak. How we live, church, every single day speaks volumes more than what we actually say. But can I ask you to do this? To be a good witness, can your walk match your talk? Or can your talk match your walk? Either way, is it the same way? Are people looking at your life and going, man, you're saying one thing, but you live a whole nother way. You ready? How about this one? We can share God's love and hope through Jesus by how we treat our waitress or our waiters when they get our order wrong. Oftentimes, I forget they're human and they make mistakes. And it usually happens when we're in a hurry and we ask for something and it's like, are you kidding me? You couldn't get a bowl of fries, right? And they're looking at us and they're going, you know, and, and, and so the issue is really, what's, what really is the issue? Where's, where's the root of that? Because that's just surface. But we can, be, we can be a good witness in how we treat them. I understand. You know what? Listen, you're working on Sundays. You want to be with your family. You're trying to make ends meet. And, and you know the ones, like, oh, I'm, so, I'm so sorry, I, you know. You can see they're frazzled anyway. You can be a good witness by how you speak to them. Church, you can be a good witness and share God's love and hope through Jesus by how we raise our children. Can I, can I just say this to you? You ready? Parents, your children are human. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to hurt you. Your job is to give them the gospel, but the whole gospel. The gospel of forgiveness and love and grace. Parents, look at me for just a moment. There is nothing that your kid can do that will make you love them any more or make you love them any less. Be careful we don't put a false gospel on them and say, well, if you're just this and this and this, well, then then it's, it's about grace and it's about love. Listen, I'm here to help you and guide you so you don't make mistakes. But listen, church, they will make mistakes. 
They'll make, they're going to make huge mistakes, and they're going to break your heart. But you're going to show the love of Christ like never before when you hug him and you say, I forgive you. And there's nothing you can do that's going to make me love you any more or any less. I love you. We can share God's love and hope through Jesus by how we speak to our spouses. We have to be so careful. People are listening, and you say, well, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, but you're ugly towards your spouse? You're ugly towards your husband? You... What are we really saying? Listen, if you're here today and you're married, that's your best friend in the whole world. That's the one that's going to stand by you thick and through thin. And we have to be so careful because if you're anything like me, you can say harsh words to your wife. And you can crush her. I, I want to share God's love by how I speak to her. And if that means I need to take a moment to listen or, or you, you need to take a moment to listen and what, what you're about to say, it's... I've got to close this up, guys. Last, last trait is found in verse 8. He says, And he was not the light, but he was sent to bear witness of the light. Another good trait is recognizing, guys, that we're not the light, but we're reflectors. So many people only point to themselves or their ministry. You know, the other day I was listening to this. I was watching this, the, the religious station, and, and I could not believe what this one person said, this one pastor, this well-known pastor. And here's what he said. I even, I even shudder to share it with you. But, but he, if we're supposed to reflect who God is, you know what he said? He said, when I die, I'm so anointed that people are going to come visit my grave and get blessed. Literally. And he's talking financially. And he said, you know, I'm one of the richest men and blah, blah, blah. And when I die, the anointing is just going to be on my grave. And I'm going, how are you reflecting God's light? That's what we're called to do. We reflect God's light, right? John says, I'm not the light. But I was sent to bear witness of the light. Guys, think about the moon for just a moment, right? Do you realize that the moon in and of itself is nothing? All it does is reflect what? The sun. And did you know it only reflects 3 to 12% of the sun? Could you imagine how bright the moon would be if it reflected 50% of the sun? But only 3 to 12%. The moon's only job is to reflect the sun. So on clear nights, guys, when it gets dark, you're able to see. Your only job is to reflect the sun, S-O-N, so that on clear nights in a dark world, people can see. As let's close with this. Max Lucado wrote in his book, It's Not About Me, points out something true about the moon that should be true of all of us believers. It reflects the light of something greater. And he goes on to say, what does the moon do? And of course, it reflects the light. And 
He goes on to write in his book how we have become demanding in our way and stamping out, stamping our feet since infancy, right? Aren't we all born with a default drive on selfishness? I want a spouse who makes me happy, co-workers who always ask my opinion. I want weather that suits me, a traffic that helps me, and government that serves me, Max Licata writes. And then he says, it's all about me. But he says, but as John the Baptist lived to testify to Christ, that's what, so too should we. That's all we're here to do, guys. Is have an encounter with Jesus and share that encounter. You know, if I told you If I told you today, hey, listen, if you want to give your life to the Lord and you want to surrender to him, but it, I don't know what it means for you. It could, mean, it could mean a harder life. It could mean that things don't get better. It could mean that you're being persecuted as a Christian. It could mean that you lose your job. Would you still surrender your life to Jesus? Because you have to think about that for a second. You have to go, listen, It's not about what I can get down here. It's not about Christ and his stuff. It's about walking with Jesus. You see, our hearts, guys, our hearts are full of sin. And our hearts, and they're heavy, and we have guilt, and we have shame. And we're not in a position where we can bargain with God, nor should we. But we're in a position where we can surrender and say yes to Jesus. You see, every one of us who hasn't had an encounter with God, well, there's a few things going on. Number one, we're afraid. We're scared to die. We don't know what's going to happen, so we don't think about it. Number two, we have all this guilt that we don't know what to do with. Number three, we're empty. We're empty. But if you say yes to Jesus today, knowing that you get Jesus, he'll come in and he'll save you. And he'll walk with you. And you'll be his forever. So the question is, are you ready to do that? I'm going to pray and give you an opportunity in just a moment. Father, we thank you for your word and the truth in your word today. We thank you for your great love. Father, I don't know who's listening and I don't know where people are at, but I do know, God, that you're always inviting people to come into your family. And many people in this church have surrendered their hearts to you. But maybe somebody here hasn't and they're waiting. And they're, they're just their heart is beating fast. They don't have a relationship with you, God. They're wanting to. They want to know you. But they haven't made that final commitment. And so I pray you speak to them right now. With every eye closed and every head bowed, how many of you would say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to surrender my life to Jesus once and for all. I want to give my life to him. I want to be saved. I want to, I want to, I want to know that I've had an encounter with him. I want to know that, that I'm born again. I don't just want to attend church. I, I want to know the God that created me. 
and you're thinking, what do I need to do, Pastor? Well, here in a moment, I'm just going to ask you to simply lift up your hand. Well, Pastor, why do I have to lift up my hand? And here's why. As I, I want God to see your heart. I want him to see your heart of your commitment saying, I really want to follow you, Jesus. I'm ready to surrender everything to you. And when you lift up your hand, I'm going to lead you in a prayer, a prayer of salvation, a prayer that's going to rededicate you back to Jesus. So if that's you today, and you know it, I don't, I don't know it, you know it. I'm going to ask you right now, would you just lift up your hand? Would you say, Pastor, pray for me. I'm ready to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. Would you just lift up your hand right now? Just going to give you an opportunity real quick. If you're not right with Jesus Christ, if you're ready to surrender, just lift up your hand. It's between you and God. God bless you, sir. I see you to my left. Good move. Anyone else? Anyone else saying, I'm ready, 100%. You may feel like you're a, a million miles away, but listen, you're one decision away, and he followed you to church, and his relentless love for you right now is overwhelming. All you have to do is take that bold step. What's that? Lift up your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. Anyone else, real quick, anyone else? Father, I thank you so much, and I know you're working in the hearts of men, and we surrender our lives to you, and I pray for the young man who just lifted up his hand, and he's rededicating his heart, his heart and his life to you, and I pray you would fill him with your spirit and get him on the right track, that he may have a true encounter with the living God. We thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen and amen. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.